Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Book Riot Podcast, the weekly news and talk show about what's cool, new, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 108. We're recording on Monday, June 1st. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, Rebecca Shinsky, and I'm Jeff O'Neill. We are some of the folks behind BookRiot.com. It's BEA Retrospective Day here on the show. We don't really even know what day it is. We don't have an agenda. <laughs> I did a cold from memory read. It took me two times to get it somewhat right. Uh, I sort of stuttered and stumbled. But, you know, this is this is live to tape. That's what this is. That's what we do. This is really what coming back from BEA feels yeah, like, Yeah, this is a really good point. We should have left the original read in because that's kind yeah. of uh, where we're all operating. Though you guys seem to be in uh, a higher cognitive functioning level than I feel oh. like I am. I'm deep in the coffee, but the bags under my eyes would betray me. So I'm really <laughs> glad that this is audio um, only. So we don't have an agenda. We're just going to talk about what we saw at the show. Maybe talk, use the opportunity to talk about where sort of where the world of books and reading are at this moment. I, I don't know if that's interesting to think about at all. Um, but should we start with just some of the stuff we saw? Like what was or what was your general impressions from the show? Like your feelings about how things are going in the publishing world? It was quieter than last year, I think. Yeah, you think so? I, yeah. I, I think so, too. I agree. It felt it just felt quieter. Uh, I know we talked when we were there about how a whole chunk of the show floor was given over to the Chinese publishers, mm-hmm. um, that they were the like special partner of Book Expo America this year. And most of the books they had and most of the signage were signage. Uh, were Chinese language. And so it was there were not very many attendees of BEA who could speak to them and relate. And so there was this like whole chunk of Javits that was sort of given over to an area that wasn't going to get very much traffic. And that seemed to make a difference to me, but it felt quieter. Um, Mm -hmm. I I wish that I had come up with this theory, but I was talking to someone who said that they felt like the publishers this time around decided to put most of their energy and enthusiasm into BookCon. Oh, I think that's definitely the case. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, which took place on Saturday and Sunday. And so the show itself was a little quieter. There were no, um, it seemed to me that there was no like big book of BEA this mm. year that everyone had to get. Um, last year, there was that new David Mitchell that like mm-hmm. 10 of our contributors stood in line for and they wrote a post about the dystopian survival strategies of the David Mitchell line. And I don't know that there was anything like that this year. It just felt a little bit more muted. Well, it's either either you could get it or you couldn't get it at all, if that makes sense. There wasn't any sort of scarcity problems with mm-hmm. galleys, right? Because like some of the things that were on display for the big banners, there just weren't there weren't galleys for like the new millennium series. Elizabeth Salander had a huge poster or, you know, a huge banner right at the front of Javits. I mean, it must've been 25 feet tall, but there are no galleys. There was a huge ghost of the watchman banner, but there were no galleys. So it's like the, so some of them, I think if those two books would have been around, that would have felt different for me, Mm -hmm. for me, at least from where I stood. And, And frankly, the biggest book news of the of the of the last half of the year happened this morning, and there was not a whisper about it at BEA. I know, right? <laughs> so I weird, have, right? It it is weird, and I guess we'll probably talk about it more on the news show. Yeah, we can just mention it today later this week. But um, El James announced that she's going to release uh, and Vintage Anchor, so with her publisher, which is an imprint of Random House, and. Um, a new Fifty Shades of Grey book called Grey that is from Christian Grey's 
point of view. It comes out on June 18th, which if you are a fan of that series, you will know is Christian Grey's birthday. I, I mean, so no whisper. I didn't hear a whisper or a rumor. And I talked, I actually talked to more people this year at BEA mm-hmm. than I, I have in past years. Some of it, I know more people and people are interested in talking to me, but like, I didn't hear a whisper. I talked to Random House people all over the place. Like, so either they didn't know or they were keeping it pretty close to the vest. But boy, is she way off the, the reservation. Yeah. She announced it herself and it's in 17 days. And I want to know what the thinking was there. Like, we'll, we'll release this news the Monday after Book Expo instead of like doing Maybe. it, I don't know, on stage During, or from yeah. their booth or something. Neil really, James don't cur. Well, but presumably like <laughs> it, it, there was a vintage anchor um, press release. The piece mm. on her blog is mostly the press release. So I don't know, man. I just I'm confused because, you know, everyone is super awake and paying attention <laughs> the Monday after BEA. Well, I mean, they, surely they knew. I mean, unless I mean, I guess if you're E.L. James and you basically just can print money, the publisher will do whatever you want. For all I know, she turned in the manuscript on Friday right. and said, you know what? Print no, this, no. print this stuff. This is no, she wrote this for a charity thing. Oh, is that? Oh, I don't know the yeah, backstory. You all should get into this in the other in oh, the next week. Okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, she wrote it a while ago. It's been so around. it's been around. So uh, anyway, so that was weird too. Like if that would have been around, that would have been big news. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, so yeah, it yeah. started, also it started on Wednesday for a half day. Which is also kind of a weird way to mm-hmm. get started. They haven't gotten started before. Mm-hmm. Um, I tweeted this over the weekend. Like maybe it felt weird just because it was so normal feeling. Maybe. Yeah, there was like the last couple of years that sky is falling feeling yeah. about publishing has decreased each year as we've gotten more comfortable with digital and publishers are less afraid of eBooks and less afraid of the future. And it it did feel really normal and unpanicked. I was yeah. surprised that some of the you know I mean maybe it's. Um, selection bias on my part but like some of the like oyster and scrib didn't have booths there you know some of these Mm. new entrants like audible doesn't have a booth downpour some of these new players in the digital publishing world goodreads doesn't have a booth at bea i hung out with some of those folks but we like met at the penguin book truck right yeah that's a really good point and then uh, the 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 big name stuff they definitely say for book con um signings and everything else there wasn't who's the biggest celebrity on the bea show floor signing Hmm. Was there um, anybody? Mindy Kaling wasn't she at BEA? Yeah, she was. Yeah. She was at BEA. Oh, okay. She was I'm at sorry. both. She was. She yeah. did signing uh, at BEA and then at BookCon. I missed that. Back okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So that I mean, Kaling's signing I'm sure was nuts. Um, but Those other than that, like you know, there wasn't really um, there wasn't really a big. You know, I, I feel like I wasn't walking through giant lines this year again. I, I just yeah, even around them. Maybe that was spacing. I don't know. Yeah, there was. There was I got stuck in a couple of lines around the Harlequin booth a few times and mm. Harlequin always has a big booth and has a lot of signings and of course huge fans because romance is enormous. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there was there was no like this is your dystopian nightmare signing line like there was David Mitchell <laughs> last year there just there just wasn't. Um there's a new Margaret Atwood coming out in the fall and they didn't have it at BEA which I thought was interesting That's and weird. they didn't have her. Um I I'm just going to galley brag. I had a meeting with a friend at at the Random House offices who gave me a galley of it. But I was like, why are we not talking about this book? Like, Mm. this is a new, it's a new novel. It's not, you know, the beginning of a series or in the middle of a series. Standalone novel. It's a standalone novel. She had short stories out last year that they didn't make much of a deal of um, that were great. But like, why? Maybe Margaret Atwood had already had plans, but I would think that they would at least have printed up a jillion of those galleys to give out Mm. at the booth. And that did not happen. I think, I mean, one, we've t- all, the three of us plus some of our other ter- editorial people have talked to us before, 
our understanding of their of galley strategy is opaque at best. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't yeah. I don't know what the theory that goes into some some books get a whole bunch that I you know I and that I haven't heard anything about and not excited about. You know, like there doesn't seem to be any correlation between the number of galleys or their ad budget or their expectations for the book or some of it might just be what they have right then for that and they're saving some others for Winter Institute or other independent bookstore places or I I don't know, but I, I guess one thing I'm trying to learn is not trying to read tea leaves from the number yeah. of galleys available at any given time. So I guess from Atwood, let's go to what you picked up. Amanda, what did you pick up? Oh, you know, before we do that, we should do our first oh, for sponsor. Oh, first sponsor. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're out, we're out of the loop. Um, let's do Random House Audiobooks. Random House Audiobooks. So go to tryaudiobooks.com. It's, is it, it's summer now. June it is 1st. Um, Memorial Day, the unofficial start of summer, though I t- guess – there is no technically with this stuff. I guess people say June 20th is the start of summer. But you know what? It's hard for me to say it's June and it's not summer. But anyway, so go to tryoutbooks.com slash gardening. One thing you're going to do more in the summer, especially if you're in the northern hemisphere, I suppose, uh, when it's this time of year, is be outside. And one thing we do when we're outside is gardening. And I, all the gardening I ever did as a kid was mowing lawns. I don't know if you – do you count that as gardening? Probably not. When does it become lawn care? Like when does lawn care adjacent? move to gar- gardening adjacent? Gardening adjacent. <laughs> gardening adjacent. Because like, like, does pulling the weeds, pulling weeds, anything you have to use like physical hands for, as opposed to my metaphysical hands <laughs> that I use all my do all my gardening through astral projection. Um, so, so one, so one thing. I wish I would have had audiobooks as a kid. Because um, I mowed a lot of lawn when I was growing up, spent a lot of summers behind the uh, behind the wheels of a uh, a chopper, um, and I would have loved to have listened to audiobooks. Probably not what I'm listening to now. I'm sure a 17 year old me would have been mortified at the <laughs> business books I'm listening to on audiobooks and just devouring them like Pringles. I'm like no shame. Um, so you know, they they one thing tryaudiobooks.com does is they try to match audiobooks with what you're doing. So also do a lot of road trips this summer, a lot of traveling by plane. Otherwise. I think hanging out by the pool is not a bad way to listen to an audiobook. I know a lot of people like paperback, but if you want to lean, you know that you got to do kind of a combination of lean back and lean forward time in your chair, right? So if you're doing the closing your eyes, sunglasses with that like mirror cone thing, do people still use those mirror cone things to try to get cancer on their throat? Is that I'm what those things are for? Like so distracted just thinking about you having multiple sunbathing positions. Well, I, 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 I don't really, I don't really sunbathe, but I'm outside. I'm not really bathing in it, I guess is what I'm saying. But all I'm saying is that's another opportunity that you could try an audiobook. And hey, it's called tryoutobooks.com. Um, you can go slash gardening. Those are recommendations for like doing something like they're suggesting thrillers, the page turners like that to sort of keep your momentum going. I think for, I don't know, what would be a good sort of uh, laying in the sun with an audiobook? Inferno any... by Dan Brown. Oh, so it's, oh, you're uh. going to, you're going to go, you're going to put a fine point on it. So like actual heat metaphors, uh, the girl who yes. played with fire, uh, the great fire by Shirley Hazard, the fire next time by James Baldwin. Uh, what else? I don't know. Some, the Flamethrowers by Rachel Kushner. Look at you go. Uh, Fahrenheit 451. Fahrenheit 451. Oh, there, there you go. Um, so anyway, those are some ideas. But as you're traveling this summer and spending some time, if you get some time to relax and you've got, because we, we're all going to have our phones with us, I guess, by the by the by the pool um plug in your headphones and try an audiobook out and the, the most recent one the most recent business book i am shamelessly uh in love with is called getting to yes negotiating without a without giving in by roger fisher william l Urry, and bruce Patton. i guess it's been out for a long time 
Um, but it's based on the work of the Harvard Negotiation Project, a group that helps you know, all kinds of negotiation and conflict resolutions, everything from like the Camp David Accords in 1978 to businesses trying to get people to sign to marriage counseling to, you know, mediation, all sorts of things. And it's, it's not like, it's not like skis ball trickeration, like that kind of stuff. It's based upon the, the idea of principled negotiation. So negotiating out of principles, objective standards, um, and mutual benefit. Um, I have to do more and more negotiation these days, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I am most of the time acting uh, from my gut without really a strategy or a sense of what I'm trying to do, um, the consequences of how you negotiate the other party, you know, things like thinking of what does the other party really care about, how can you, you know, one, here's just a sample is like they suggest if you're working on a contract, rather than sitting across the table from someone, just sit side by side. Like some of it is simple stuff like that. Um, so I thought it was really great. An audiobook, it's not that long. It's about seven hours. And one point they make is like, we negotiate all the time. All, you know, like, you know, you, you negotiate with the babysitters or your housekeepers or your significant others or your kids or your parents or family members, coworkers, employees. Most of it is trying to figure out if someone may think they want something different than you do and you have to work together in some fashion, you're going to do some negotiating. And this is a good way, I think, of some, some of it is just remembering that you're negotiating what you want. Um, really good stuff. So I, I would recommend that. My Our friend and coworker Clint recommended that to me and he was dead on. So that's one pick there. Do you guys have any uh, picks for this spot? Oh, let's see. Is that Missoula you were talking about? You were talking about yeah, Missoula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the slowest audiobook listener mm. ever because I just listened in the car for like a few minutes a day and I tend to listen to music when I'm walking the dog. Um, so I am still listening to Missoula by John Krakauer, which is about um, specifically the rapes and sexual assaults that were reported in Missoula between 2008 and 2012, of which there were 250. Mm. Um, and that's only the ones that were reported. Uh, but more broadly is about uh, rape culture and the huge systemic problems that we have, not just with how sexual assault occurs in this country, but with how uh, the police and the justice system respond to it and why many women, uh, many victims of sexual assault choose not to report their rapes. There are uh, actual transcripts from court cases and from police interrogations, uh, many, 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 many interviews. Krakauer is a journalist at the top of his game, and he's uh, probably one of the handful of journalists who you know, are, are qualified and credible enough to take on a really big, important book like this. Um, it's very harrowing. It's, and I think that I, it might've been easier to take in as a print mm. read, um, on audio, especially when they're, you know, reading straight from interviews with women who, uh, were raped or sexually assaulted by acquaintances. It's a, it's really tough, but I think it's one of those really tough things that is important to face and to know about. And it's packed with statistics and actual, you know, real information, uh, that's not just, the junk your friends on Facebook are tossing up about what they hmm. think about things. Um, so incredibly useful to have actual data there, but real tough, very important, very difficult, but a, a really good audiobook. The narrator is excellent. Um, so thanks so much to TritorBooks.com for sponsoring the show. Go to TritorBooks.com slash gardening to get you all of your weed pulling reads set up. All right, Amanda, what did you, what did you, let's start here. What did you, what made the physical trip back to Richmond with you? Oh, comics. Comics. So many comics. They had a comic book row this year, which I've not seen before, I don't think. But Image was there and um, Valiant and Boom Studios. And they were giving away trades, like fully finished trade mm. copies of, of some of their series. So I picked up 
the woods and hexed from um, Boom and a couple. I had a conversation with the guy from Valiant about diversity in comics, and he gave me a few things that he thought I might like. Uh, but as far as regular books, um, I got City on Fire, the giant. Uh, why yes. I did this in physical form is beyond me. It's like eight hundred pages. Um, but this like I picked up out of completely out of curiosity. I don't really have. I don't have a thing for New York books, and I don't have a thing for books in the 70s, but I do have a thing for books that got $2 million advances. Mm. And Is that what it was, so $2 million? I think so. I think it was $2 million. I know it was seven digits. I, I don't know if I ever heard the exact uh, the exact title on it. Wow. Yeah. I think um, that went home with a lot of our contributors. Yeah. It seemed like. Mm-hmm. I think a lot. I'm definitely interested. I'm not going to commit to reading it right now, but I do like New York novels. Um, by all accounts... Uh, Someone said someone they knew had read it and said it was great. That's as close as I've gotten to actually hearing <laughs> Is that right? Has anyone heard any closer hand than that? Like someone you actually know said it was great? Uh, or, no. Or not great for that matter. Everyone, I, everyone that I know who has started reading it, uh, I don't think I know anybody who's finished it yet, but um, I know a bunch of people who said like, oh, yeah, I started that or I'm in the middle of it and it's great. Well, um, so if, that's, since you know, it's, thousand, so it's 10,000 pages long, they're going to be in the middle of it for a while. Um, I think. Okay, so that's comics and City on Fire. What else? Uh, Queen of the Night, Alexander Chi's mm. new novel. What's that? Yeah. You know what? I've I have been no looking idea. forward to that. What's oh, it about? It's about an opera singer. Ooh. This um, Lilliet Byrne. I'm holding it right now, so I'm totally Me cheating. Me too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just turn it over. She's, uh, she's a sensation in the Paris opera. She's a soprano, and she's done everything that, that an opera singer can do in her career except for perform an original role, which apparently is the way that opera singers really get a shot at immortality. And so one's offered to her, and she realizes that the libretto that uh, has been written for her is based on this hidden piece of her past that only four people know about. Um, One of those people is dead. One of them loves her. One wants to own her. This is from the copy on the back. And one she hopes never thinks of her at all. So she's like mining her memory for clues, trying to figure out who could have revealed this thing about her that now a libretto has been written about. And um, she, you know, recalls her life as an orphan who left the American frontier for Europe and was swept into the glamour and the terror of Second Empire Paris and then transformed herself. Um, Okay, Mm. listen to this. In order to survive, she transformed herself from hippodrome writer to courtesan, from empress's maid to debut singer, all the while weaving a complicated web of romance, obligation, and political intrigue. Here for it. So here wow. for that. I am here for and it. And Alexander Chi, the author, is an interesting, cool guy. I'm sure this is interesting to, to take yeah, a look Yeah, Jen, at. our colleague Jen Northington, got uh, one of the earliest copies of it and read it in one day, which oh, is saying something. It's 500 because it's pages. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's mm. like five or 600 pages. It's huge. And she just said it was fantastic, and I trust her. So I'm really excited about oh, that Oh, that is too. exciting. I'm going to read that. I'm going to read that this fall. It comes out in September? Or no. Uh, February next it come? year. It comes out February 2nd of 2016. Wow. Okay. They're talking about this one way in advance. So I think we can hope for big things there. Mm, very cool. Okay. Amanda, what else? We're, we're rifling um, through your bags here. What else? The, the last one I've, <laughs> I got was uh, Fates and Furies, the new Lauren Groff. Oh, and you know something else about Lauren Groff, like how she wears her wine. <laughs> okay. So they're going to make me tell this story. And I went to a Riverhead is her publisher, and I went to a party. Um, it was on a boat. The Riverhead party was on a boat, like a permanently docked one, but it still moved. Okay, the boat was still kind of rocking, and I went specifically to meet Lauren Groff. And I guess she is familiar with Book Riot because when she saw me, 
she's eight feet tall and she bent mm. down to give me a hug and I was so shocked because like I'm not used to people especially authors who have any idea who I am mm. and I like jumped and well, I forgot <laughs> that I was holding a glass of white wine and I spilled it all over her like in her hair all mm. down the back of her shirt and she was so sweet about it but like that's my embarrassing. Every year I have some horrifyingly embarrassing story about something. <laughs> Though I, I have to author. say, I'm, I'm sure she's <laughs> gracious by nature, but don't be a jerk to someone who runs a book site. I mean, right. well, even yeah, if she yeah. wanted to rip your head off and use it for a spittoon, I doubt that would have been the political thing to do right now. Luckily, it was white white wine, and she's very blonde. So <laughs> it's so great how your BEA horror stories always involve food or beverage food, of yes. some kind. Like there's the Jeffrey Eugenides roast beef sandwich story, and now yeah. we have the Lauren Groff wine story. And so, like, what is next? Are you going to drop your ice cream onto someone's feet next year? Yeah, I, I don't know. I should make like a goal. Like, I I would like to spill bourbon down the front. Of I'm coming for you, David. You're going to feed uh, Marilyn Robinson spoiled prosciutto and she's going to get uh, oh, sick yeah. or no, something like that. Oh, no. Okay, no. so that's, that's what made it home with you. Is that it? Was yeah, that it? That's it. Okay, Shinsky, what, what made it the uh, way home with okay, you? Okay, I also brought home the Alexander Chi. I brought home the new Margaret Atwood, which is mm. called The Heart Goes Last. What's um, it it's about? about Oh, sorry. It's about a married couple that are trying to stay afloat uh, in the midst of economic and social collapse. Um, there's job loss. They're living in their cars. So they're vulnerable to roving gangs because this is Margaret Atwood. So it's oh. not just people in a complicated marriage. It's people <laughs> in a complicated marriage in a possible Dystopia. future. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the Positon Project is this thing that happens in the town of consilience and it seems to be the answer to their prayers no one there is unemployed everyone has like a good nice house to live in but only for six months out of the year and on alternating mm. months the residents have to leave their homes and fun and function as inmates in the positron the positron prison system Mm. Uh, and so once their month of service in the prison is completed, they return to their civ civilian homes. And so they go back and forth. Um, some of this book, I guess, was originally published as Positron uh, singles, like Kindle singles. She wrote some of these stories. Uh, but so like Stan and Charmaine first think that this isn't much of a sacrifice to make in order to, you know, half of the year have a roof over their head and food to eat. But then Charmaine gets romantically involved with a man who lives in their house during the months that she and Stan are gone. Very cool. So, yeah, it's like a dystopia kind of about a complicated marriage. So I think Margaret Atwood just built me a new wheelhouse. Cool. All right. So that's the Atwood. What else? There's that. Um, the Double Life of Lillianne by Lily Tuck, which I'm super excited about. That comes out in, when does it come out? September. Um, yes. About, yes, about a, a woman who's the child of a German movie producer. Um, her father's a German movie producer, and her mother is artistically talented. Her father lives in Italy. Her mother lives in New York. And so Lillianne's life is divided between those two worlds. Um, she's this shy child. She's observant but has a vivid imagination and she uncovers the stories of family members of hers that are diverse as Moses Mendelssohn, Mary Queen of Scots and an early Mexican adventurer. See, and you go to Lily Tuck for family secrets. That's you why do. you go to yeah. Lily Tuck. You really do. And uh, so Lillianne is going to piece together her these family members, these like distant family members' histories through world wars and across continents. And it calls it an astonishing and riveted meta-narrative about self-humanity and family. And that's out from I'm, Grove this fall? Grove, yes. Yeah, it just says September 2015 September, on the okay. back here. Mm. Um Okay. I'm here for that. I love me some Lily Tuck. <laughs> you do, yeah. 
That's cool. All right, what else? Uh, the last one I picked up, I only came home with a few books. Um, the Last September by Nina DeGramont, which comes out uh, this fall... Sometime in the fall from Algonquin. Yes, yeah, September 15th from Algonquin. Um, about a woman named Brett who was in love with Charlie from the first day that she laid eyes on him in college. Uh, and when he's murdered, Brett is devastated. But she's got to be honest with herself because their marriage has really been hanging by a thread for quite a while, especially since Charlie had an affair. And so like, she's going through the clues and they all point to Charlie's brother, who's been in and out of psychiatric care for many years as the murderer. Um, but now she is starting to look back on her and Charlie's life together to try to understand how this tragedy could have happened to them and whether she was somehow complicit in it. So like everything I brought back from BEA is somehow about a complicated marriage. Yeah, complicit is like in every description of everything. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm trying to, I didn't come up with anything as I normally do. I, I got some catalogs because that's what I was looking for more than anything. I, I was going to, if one found its way into my hand, I would have taken the Ernie Klein galley Armada. I know several people mm. had that and I would have snagged one, but I wasn't going to cross the room to get it. So that, you know, that's how I operate with our, uh, review <laughs> copies, generally speaking. Um, were there other things that you didn't take home that you saw that were interesting? Oh, you know, I came home with a copy of Shadow Shaper by Daniel Jose Older. Oh, right. That comes out I've super already, soon, right? Uh, June 30th. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I've already read, so I didn't think about it, but I, it was fun to meet him and get it signed. Yeah, it was fun to meet him. Um, what else did I see? Did you see, I saw someone had the new Paul Murray book. <gasps> someone had the new Paul Murray? I saw someone walking around uh, with it. What is this? What book? Paul I, Murray I don't remember wrote Skippy Dies. He Skippy wrote Skippy, Dyes, Sk Skippy he, Dyes has a new book oh. coming out. Um, anyway, that's another one I saw. Uh, if you're listening to this and you work for FSG, please send me the new poll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me see. What else did I? What else did I notice here? Um, boy, I guess there wasn't that much I was super excited about. I, ha I mean, you you named a lot of the big ones. Um, I guess I was wondering if there would be some Larson, Steve Larson stuff. I didn't mm -hmm. see swag. I didn't. There's just the one big poster. Um, there was some news that came out that's worth talking about. So James Patterson, who continues just to set money on fire um, for <laughs> causes, I mean, in a good way, not in a bad way, uh, has announced that he's going to start his own children's imprint because he will have an imprint in every genre by the time, um, you know, the world stops breathing. There'll be a James Patterson erotica genre. There'll be a James Patterson oh nonfiction <laughs> wing. I'm not ready. The world is not punk, ready. Steampunk, no. James Patterson fan fiction. We're going to have it all. I um, read James Patterson steampunk. <laughs> that would be interesting. That would be interesting. But his new, his new um, imprint is the uh, humbly named Jimmy Patterson, uh, which is going to publish, looks like, 12 books a year. Some of them will be by the James Patterson Publishing Industrial Complex, and some of it will be new acquisitions. So that's one bit of news we saw. Oh, there were Franz and Galleys floating there were around. Franz. But there, I, were only, there were only 200 Franz and Galleys, I think, this week. There was one of us that got it. Jess Plummer? Or wait, no, who mm, got it? Jessica no, Woodbury. Jessica, Jessica Woodbury, Woodbury right. Just, we many, have like 19 Jessicas. Many, uh, uh, an abundance of Jessicas. Uh, she had the one, we sort of passed around it like, I don't know, like the chalice at the end of the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Like it's both fascinating and might kill you uh, at the same time. I put it up on Instagram, a picture of that galley, <laughs> and the comments were hilarious. Like some people were like, oh, so excited. That's great. And then, of course, there was an equal number of, ah, gross, yeah. Well, it's such a dumb cover. I mean, it's so, it un is. It's so boring. <laughs> 
It doesn't mean it's also very frightening. Like the idea of Jonathan Frandenson writing a book oh. with a woman on the cover called Purity just makes me so nervous. Yeah, I, I tweeted threat level orange when hearing <laughs> that. You know, that's like very. We're very. There was an excerpt I saw in the, in the New Republic today that I'm going to link to in Critical Linking tomorrow. I don't know if I can bring myself to read it. I mean, maybe I'll put on a hazmat suit and some goggles or something to try to protect me. <laughs> I from. read a little bit of it. Oh yeah, and okay. Well, well maybe we'll get a reaction at yeah. some future show. <laughs> There's um, going to be a new. This is random. Oh. But there's going to be a new Karen Russell short story in next week's New Yorker fiction issue. Oh, really? Issue. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. So if you don't want to read the Franzen. Or- oh, another book. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> that was, I think she was done. Amanda, oh, yeah, go for I was it. Done. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing that I saw at BEA that I didn't get, because I don't think they were giving them out, was a, a new Stacey Schiff who wrote that biography uh. of Cleopatra that won the Pulitzer. She's written a book about the Salem witch trials. Oh yeah, which is there was so a huge banner for that. I, I remember seeing there was a giant that banner. Liberty oh, yeah. got one because yeah, Liberty has re- magic. Yeah. Right, that's true. And, and she's like a she she's like a book black hole. They just like fall towards her. In the fullness of time, all books end up at Liberty's house. <laughs> um, she is the event horizon. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, I'm interested in that. I, I read that Cleopatra book and it was so good. Yeah, um, I did too. I liked it a lot. Was that two or three years ago? I think came out. It was, I think, three. It was yeah, a while it's ago. Been a while. I think, yeah. I think it was before the site was live. Maybe anyway. No, it, well, yeah. it came out when I was still a bookseller. The paperback did. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, she knows her way around historical fiction for sure. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. I didn't see a lot of other nonfiction. I was super into. Um, I had my they eyes had... out for nonfiction. I, I didn't see anything. I was yeah. drawn to. Brene Brown, you know, my spirit animal. Nah. Nah. Was there one day signing Rising Have Strong? Have you told Terry Tempest Williams? Is it going to be like a? <laughs> it going to be like a rumble to size? If you just... think that I am not planning a like women and identity event in my mm. head, that's just Terry Tempest Williams, Cheryl Strait, and Brene Brown and me and uh, <laughs> and Shinsky Puddle. Right, yeah. Yeah, you don't know me at all. Uh, there was a giant banner for the Brene Brown, which made me excited. Oh, I'm I glad that she's I getting that. that she's getting that kind of attention. And um, our colleague Rachel Smalls uh, said that she passed the line for Brene Brown signing, and mm. that it was huge. Um, Interesting. Doctor Ruth was there. I didn't get to go see Doctor Ruth, um, but oh. that's. Other nonfiction. Oh, the, we heard good, interesting things about the new David Mitchell, which I don't think there were galleys of, but you got right. a report about. Yeah, Slade, Slade House. House, which comes out in the fall, is, I, I hope I'm not butchering the description, but is apparently about, it's set in a haunted house on five different Halloween nights. Mm. Sounds awesome. The public, I had a meeting with his uh, marketing director or publicity director, and she said that it was kind of night circusy. Ah. Which seems like such an odd comp for David Mitchell. But it does. I'm here for that. Like That's if David Mitchell wrote The Night Circus, I'd be all over it. You know what? Speaking of The Night Circus, we should do our next sponsor. We should oh, do our next sponsor. Yeah, very well done. <laughs> Why, thank you. Yeah. My coffee might be working now. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Grace Keepers by Kirsty Logan is back sponsoring the show this week. This is for readers of The Night Circus and Station Eleven, which is a super interesting combination. But if you listen up to this description, I think you'll understand. Uh, You'll pick up what they're putting down. This is a debut novel set in a world covered by water. The main character, uh, Kalanish, I believe, is a grace keeper. Um, It's her job to administer shoreside burials. She lays the dead to rest at their final resting place deep in the depths of the ocean, because that's where the depths are. They are deep. Uh, Alone, She lives alone on an island. She's exiled herself uh, to life there alone. Um, After 
and where she tends these watery graves. And she's done this to herself in penance for a mistake that she made a long time ago that still haunts her. Uh, the other main character, North, meanwhile, works as a circus performer with the Excalibur, which is a floating troupe of acrobats, clowns, dancers, and trainers who sail from one archipelago to the next, and they entertain in exchange for sustenance, uh, which that sounds like the night circus and uh, an element of Station Eleven that involves a roving band of Shakespeare performers. Mm. Um, this world that they live in is divided between the people who inhabit the mainland, who are called the landlockers, and those who float on the sea, which are called the damplings. Uh, and so loneliness has become a, a way of life for both of them, uh, Kalanish, because she lives alone on this island, and North, because she's constantly moving from one place to the next. Um, and then there's a sudden storm offshore that brings change to both of their lives and offers a new understanding of the world they live in and the consequences of their past, but that also restores the hope that they have um, by, by giving them an unexpected future. Um, the story is inspired in part by Scottish myths and fairy tales. Um, it's a modern story about a world that has been irreparably changed that has sa sadness and isolation, but also joys and marvels. The cover looks like it's a book inspired by a Scottish fairy tale. It's really uh, ethereal and lovely and floaty. And I'm I'm very intrigued by this. Um, they've sponsored a few of our episodes of this and a few of all the books. And we've had some readers tell us now that, or some listeners tell us that they picked it up and read it and loved it. Um, so uh, good news from the Book Riot community coming about the Grace Keepers so far. Again, that's by Kirsty Logan. We'll have a link in the show notes, or you can look for it wherever books are sold. Um, Lib, I think, was just finished reading that when I saw it be agency. Mm -hmm. really liked it, too. Throw that in there yeah. uh, as yeah, well. Yeah, everybody that's told us they've read it has See, really I was just it. reviewing my notes while you were uh, talking. Another one that I saw people carrying around, and there was a huge galley giveaway of this that I'm sort of interested in. It's called um, Your Heart is a Muscle the Size of a Fist by Sunil Yappa, I guess yes. is how you say his name. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. this one is, uh, it remind, you remind me, we said it was the Night Circus meets Station Eleven. Was that the description of the Grace yeah. Keepers? This, one's, this one says the flamethrowers meets let the great world spin. So oh, hey. I'm in. I'm in on this. <laughs> that's, um, that's your new wheelhouse. Yeah, it's New York book set in the 70s, but this is this was a it's a debut novel set uh, during this Seattle's 1999 WTO pro protest. So it's like oh, it's wow. like the flamethrowers and like the Great World Spin, and that's it's recent historical fiction. Like it so it has its own plot set within a larger tableau of a historical moment some of us might know. Um, also, it's a very grabby cover. It's like this really mm -hmm. uh, canary yellow um, and, a, you know, with this kind of graffiti, not really graffiti, but chalky kind of title. I was drawn to it and there was a huge galley giveaway and even my hand twitched a little as I walked by. <laughs> when um, is that one out? This is January 12th, 2016, so it's not a okay. while, uh, not for a while yet, but I'm looking forward to, to checking that one out. Scrappy boyish world traveler. Uh, wait, oh, that's not my bio. That's about the protagonist of the, <laughs> the book there. Um, anything else from BEA? I thought we might take a moment to sort yeah. of take the moment to talk about where the, the world of books sort of is at this particular moment, but maybe any other um, uh, detritus or so pickups from I BEA. I have a, a couple weird, like, random news things that yeah. I picked up from um, from the PW show daily. The first, our good friends at HarperCollins, who are always trying things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have, They've teamed up with Shazam. Did you see this? Uh, briefly, no. yes. I okay. saw it briefly, but I, I don't have my ma mind wrapped so, around it. Yeah, so Shazam is an app that 
if you're like in the car and a song comes on and you don't know what the song is, you hit the Shazam app and it listens to the song and then tells you who it is. Um, now they're doing visual content recognition mm. functionality. And so HarperCollins teamed up with them. Um, the new feature, it says, transforms static print and digital images into dynamic pieces of content. So starting, this was from, I think, Thursdays, uh, Thursday or Friday's show daily. So starting last week, whenever Shazam users wave their phones over any HarperCollins book or promotional content that has the Shazam camera logo on it, they'll be linked to customized content, including author interviews, special offers, and videos. They'll, also, they'll also be able to purchase eBooks or share them. Uh, the initial US titles that are part of the program range from Go Set a Watchman and American Sniper to something called Machines of Loving Grace. Um, and those aren't mm. the only three. Those are just the three that they are using to illustrate the range. Apparently, HarperCollins Canada is also participating. Um, the user base of Shazam is more than a hundred million monthly mm. active users, according to Shazam. And so that's, you know, that's appealing uh, to HarperCollins for sure. Um, if you're out somewhere and you see a HarperCollins title with a Shazam logo on it, please give this a shot and let us know. Wait, so what, what are you supposed to do? Tell me, what do you you're, do? You're supposed to like wave your, sh open the Shazam app. And I, I guess you're, the camera from your phone probably accesses the uh -huh. book cover. And then pull it pulls up in the app whatever the special content is. So an author interview, some sort of special offer, maybe a video, mm. the you know the option to purchase an ebook, whatever. I'm curious. Um, this is this, is this more? That, wait, what? So it's like a, <laughs> this is maybe just like the next round of QR. <sighs> I was gonna code say it sounds business. like glorified yeah. QR code to me. Yeah. Um, uh, though with some brand affiliation, right? Right. So you've got to have the Shazam app and know what Shazam is. And then you have to be in a place with HarperCollins books that and have the Shazam sticker on them and know what you're supposed to do and be interested. Um, but interesting, I guess. Hey, HC will try it. You know, yeah, they'll try it. Uh, yeah, that's that's good news. I like I mean, I like to see what people try. Sure. What else? What else mm -hmm. you got? Uh Let's see, you said the house Scribd and Oyster didn't have any booths. Yes. Um, but the some of the Scribd folks and the Oyster folks were on panels mm. this week. And I read a recap of a panel that um, Andrew Weinstein, who's the VP of content acquisition for Scribd, was on. And this is just a random tidbit of information. But he apparently said on the panel that most of their users of Scribd access many titles every month, but the average user has less than two qualified reads on Scribd each month. And, and a qualified, qualified read is 10% or more. Is 10 yeah, um, where huh. if you read 10% or more of the book, that's when the publisher gets paid. So people are tasting a lot, but they're not finishing a lot. Um, and then he also dropped the little bit that 75% of all the content in the Scribd subscription service has been accessed at mm. least once. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm not it sure I would have guessed either of those numbers, but I also don't find them surprising mm -hmm. somehow. And I don't know yeah, if that makes any sense. I might be misquoting um, our friend Kevin Wynn, who works at Oyster, I believe has said that Oyster users try six books before they settle on one. Huh. I, be I believe it was six. That's really um, interesting. Do you do that with Oyster? How many you know, do you I have like a huge... Um, I have a huge list on Oyster of stuff that I might want to read. And if I don't know what I'm in the mood for, especially if it's bedtime, I like open a couple things and poke around a little and decide what I'm going to read next. But I don't think it's six to one. Um, yeah, no. I feel like it's more like two or three. I, if I start, I go. That's just how mm -hmm. I am. I start, I'm, I usually, all the, all the hard stuff is just hitting the button. 
and every after that I usually go. <laughs> but that's that's interesting. Um, the other thing I saw there was a there are a couple pieces about independent bookselling because that's one of the mm. you know under you know that's one of the I guess functions of BEA is to have independent booksellers meet with buyers and publicists yeah. and so the the slow steady. I guess rise of the number of independent bookstores in America continues apace up 41 stores this year. I'm looking at my notes here. I don't have the article in front of me. So up to about a little over 1,700 independent bookstores in North America. And that's up 25% since 2009, which was the, I guess, the nadir of independent bookselling as, as in terms of um, number of stores. So it's, you know, adding a couple percent a year, a slow, steady sort of recovery, um, you know, I think that's part of the the larger the sky is not falling tone that I was getting from BEA. There wasn't Amazon worry. There wasn't Google worry. I don't think there was subscription mm-hmm. service worry. I mean, there were big books and people were buying them and publishers' profits on the whole have been pretty healthy. And it feels like after a couple of detentes of Amazon and some of the big publishers, SNS, SNS and Hachette finally got together, some rumblings that maybe PRH and Amazon are saber rattling behind the scenes I've heard recently, but I'm guessing they're just trying to iron stuff out. Um, I don't know. It feels like we're, we're kind of a plateau of some kind, in the yeah. in the, at least in the ward, larger industry. I don't know if you guys feel the same way about that. Was the Amazon Hachette thing happening during BEA last year? I don't, I don't remember. Rem- remember the I don't timing. Remember. It was certainly the fall, but I don't know if it was at BEA or not that mm. we were talking about it. But uh, yeah, I, I don't yeah, know. Like yeah. the ebooks are have plateaued, and there's a lot of print books, and people understand mm-hmm. that people are still buying those. And I don't know. It, there wasn't a lot of yeah. self pub talk. I didn't feel like at BEA. Like a lot of times, there's a lot of author services stuff there. There mm-hmm. weren't also weren't a lot of self pub authors. As we've seen in years past, like with little handouts or wearing funny hats. Or- yeah, yeah, I disagree. Well, BEA <laughs> cracked down on oh, that. Oh, they did? I didn't know if to that... To their credit a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that was a um, company mandate to try to do some mm-hmm. of that. So, um, Yeah, I read that, um, and maybe it was the same ABA thing that, that you read, that um, sales at indie bookstores were up 47 out of the 52 weeks last year, mm. and they've been up 17 out of 19 weeks so far in 2015. Huh. So pretty yeah, good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Either it's a the a deep breath before another plunge, or this is we're coming up for air, or some other swimming metaphor that I can't really <laughs> parse out right now. But it feels to me like we kind of know what the scene is for now, and it's a little hard to imagine what the next big thing will be. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think subscription services have proven to be a bombshell. I mean, I think they're a nice sideline for publishers. But they're not, I don't, they don't seem to be getting so much traction that everyone's like, oh my God, what's going to happen? You know, I don't think, you know, a lot of the, uh, for me, a lot of the most interesting stuff about books doesn't happen at BEA, like the Wattpad sort of model, fan fiction, some of those really cutting edge underground, or not, you know, out of the mainstream for the book world happens outside of BEA. So of course it's not going to be there. Um, I guess, I guess for BEA itself, the the idea that BookCon is going to be a thing, and I saw some people muttering or wondering on Twitter if maybe BookCon will just eat BEA eventually. Ah. Like maybe it'll just be BookCon and you'll have some industry stuff happening Hmm. alongside of it rather than the other way around. It was a totally different feeling. Um, I went to BookCon on Saturday and like Scholastic, which has a huge booth during BEA to meet Mm -hmm. with, you know, to meet with media and to meet with booksellers was down to like one table. Hmm. Um, Norton went down from their huge booth to one table. Harlequin, interestingly, kept their whole big booth 
area. Um, but it seemed like the publishers were focusing a lot on the signings and getting people into the signing lines. Um, the bookstore area was bonkers. Like mm. you go down into the basement of Javits and they had a huge bookstore table area set up. And then you had to go through like the winding lines just to get up to the table to buy the books. And for many of the signings, you had to buy a book in order to go mm -hmm. to the signing. You couldn't bring your own things. It was like an hour long wait um, to be able to buy a book. Um, and most of the crowd were young. Like I, I would guess if I had to guess, like I would say 80% of the people there were under the age of 21. Um, hmm. It was, yeah, it was really young. Um, Jen and I went to Daniel Jose Older signing to get the experience of like going to BookCon and standing in a signing line and seeing how everything worked because we're spying for Book Riot Live. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we were his Daniel's line was next to the line for some YouTube star. Mm. Um, and all of the people in line in that line were like 15 year old girls. There was a lot of they were it was like the Beatles were coming out when the guy walked out on stage um, or walked out to his signing line. They just went nuts, which was cool and a little bit scary to see. Um, but a to it was a totally different feeling. It was very enthusiastic. Like publishers were doing, Random House was doing a cool thing where they had a bunch of galleys and you could go up to the table and like you had to talk to them to get something. So you, but you would tell them like what, if you were in a bad mood lately or you wanted to go on an adventure or whatever, and they would prescribe you a book and give it to you. Um, people did seem really happy and fun, which is not necessarily mm. the spirit of BEA. No. But it's hard, having seen it, it's hard to imagine them being together. Like a bunch of industry stuff happening at the same time that all the 15 year olds are running around getting their books signed. Like I went to Comic-Con in the fall and that's definitely just a consumer event. And we were trying to do business and it was not the right place. They just don't mix very well. Well, maybe you would have the book con happening sort of at the treetop level and then downstairs you, I don't know. Like, Oh, maybe. Cause like San Diego, we, as we've done panels, like we found there isn't like a huge, there is no BEA equivalent for comics as far as we can tell. Um, a lot of the business gets done off out of industry events, but also sort of around sideline events kind of thing. I, I don't know. Like the utility of BEA is interesting, especially as you know, social media is a thing and people can Skype, like do independent booksellers really need to meet with, you know, Norton circulation to, decide how many copies of whatever to buy, like when they have their own smaller event. I, I don't know, like even for us, like we go and we do publicity and stuff, but a lot of it happens online and even the advertising. I, I'm just not sure. I think there's always a yeah. value to seeing people in real life, but at what point does it erode to the effect where the event is just sort of, uh, you know, dead man walking and being done out of habit and business reasons rather than, you know, a trade or industry reason. I don't know. I was just thinking about it this week to see, um, how many people were at BookCon? Did, they, did you have a, do you know what the numbers mm. they were banding about? I didn't hear any numbers. Um, last year, I know they sold 10,000 tickets for the one day event mm -hmm. and it sold out um, and that it looked like there were insane lines and people couldn't really move. It was not impossible to navigate this year. So did they have more show floor or did they have more space? Do you know? Uh, they took up about a th maybe a third of the Javits show floor. Okay. Um, uh, I'm sure we'll get numbers yeah, unless they're embarrassed. Third, yeah, it was like a third to a half. There were a lot of people. It just wasn't. It, and I was there in the middle of the day. So maybe it was different when the doors first opened. But if I had to guess, I would guess maybe they sold the same 10,000 tickets or maybe a few more than that. But spreading it out over two days um, impacted how many people were there at once, which was good. It was last year. It looked like it was impossible to move around and would have been 
um, unpleasant. And this was not an unpleasant experience. Well, next year, if you are in the Chicagoland area or are in traveling distance or just want to go, BEA is going to be in Chicago and also BookCon will be in Chicago as well. They're going back to one day for BookCon. It's going to be May 14th, one day for BookCon next year. I just saw that news uh, come across today. Um, And then the the show is, I think, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday um, for next Hmm. year as well, midweek. I'm excited about Chicago. Are you excited about Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. Let's get out of New York Mm. for a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if I'll go to BA next year. I'm I'm burnt out right now, so it's always the worst time to ask. But, uh, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm not sure. I do like like Chicago. Chicago in May is great. It's like when you're hungover. Do you want another drink? Yeah, now? Here the dog. Oh, not right no. now, necessarily. <laughs> um, you know, I think I'm just not sure. Like, I would go. I was surprised that the like the panels and stuff that goes on around BEA should be more interesting. Is that fair? Kind of. I don't know. Well, My you had a good panel, and I was I got stuck <laughs> on the train, but. You had a good panel, but it was like, was seven people doing six minutes or something like that? It was six people doing six minutes. Yeah, like, because I would walk by and there'd be like a panel discussion of something. There'd be like 12 people there. And I I don't know, like, maybe they need to rethink about why people are going. Yeah, it feels like BEA recycles the same panel ideas Mm -hmm. every Mm -hmm. year. Like, every year there's someone talking about ebook the the situation with ebooks and the every, situation and every year there's a panel about how to use social media for your independent bookstore <laughs> yeah. or is social media important yes yeah there's just not a I don't think that BEA is asking new questions or asking their questions in an interesting way the programming is usually pretty snoozy. I mean, I, I get that it's like the third most important thing that they're trying to figure out. Like, because no one really goes right. to BEA for the programming, right? Like, it's just something else they do, mm-hmm. I guess, is my understanding. I guess. I, I don't didn't know. go to anything I wasn't on. Yeah. So. Yeah, neither did I. Did uh, you guys see anything I. just like crazy or weird? Mm. I saw a couple of people uh, cosplaying, which was interesting. I've oh, never really? seen that before. Like yeah. straight up attendees? Yeah. I don't think BEA. I've seen that either. That was huh. the first time I'd ever seen. I don't. I didn't recognize. What were the, they? I don't know. I oh. didn't recognize the character, but um, it was very like, uh, oh, is that? Are we doing that now? Is that <laughs> a thing that we're doing at BEA now? Which is cool. I love it. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'd never seen it before. Um, that's yeah, that's interesting. interesting. I don't. I didn't know. get to see Laura Miller interview Jonathan Franzen. Oh, I'm you so didn't. Sa- I'm I know. So sad. Rachel Manuel <laughs> said that, and it was just sort of a snark fest, 2015, which is oh, no. not a huge surprise, I guess. I guess like the first qu- or one of the first questions Miller asked is like, you know, do you cultivate your curmudgeonly whatever? And he's like, really? Do people think I'm a curmudgeon? And really, I, oh, I guess on. the audience like kind of tittered at that. Uh, at that exchange. Um, You're a public figure and you're pretending you don't cultivate anything <laughs> about it. I'm not trusting you. Especially as far since as I I've never you. seen him in a picture without like the four day beard. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, you just don't, that just can't happen unless you, anyway. I could probably yeah. throw Jonathan Franzen pretty far. Actually. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't. Should we do our last sponsor? Are we doing new books this week or not? Are we out? Uh, I think we're out, but I want, the weird thing I saw was menswear dog. What's menswear <laughs> what dog? That? So Jen and I were walking the book con floor and you know, like last year there was grumpy cat or the year before that. And they had grumpy cat just like up on a table and people were waiting in line to see grumpy cat. There was this Shiba Inu just lying on a table and people were walking up to him and he was licking their hands and they were all excited. And I figured out later it was menswear dog, which is apparently, I think it started as a tumbler, but it's like 
someone thought that the way to convince men to care about fashion was to dress up a dog in men's fashion and take pictures. And now he's a social media sensation. Menswear dog is a megastar across Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and countless blogs and has been on TV shows. What? That's got, there's got to be like some sort of level of cruelty there. I just, like, how do you convince it? Whatever. I, I mean, he was kicking it and people were in line and petting him and excited. But <laughs> we were like, but neither of us knew what it was. We we're like, what is that dog on the table? What's happening? Do you just stand in line and get your hands licked? What? Uh, menswear dog. That's a thing. This is what I'm publishing looking it up on, on um, Instagram right now. This is well, like, a cute dog. But it's like what publishing thinks people want, I guess, is to meet menswear dog. And apparently they're not wrong. He had a long yeah. line. Grumpy Cat uh, had a similar uh, Was that yeah. last year? Grumpy Cat is all over the place, man. That, that needs yeah, to go away. Yeah, it was last year or the year before, maybe. I don't remember. All right, let's talk about Scribd. Our third and final sponsor is Scribd.com. Look, I, we, we've <laughs> sort of given them, we gave them sort of a native ad reader earlier talking about Scribd and what you can do there. So Scribd has over, what is it? Okay, so 30,000 audiobooks. We've talked about audiobooks before. They've got a bunch of ebooks. They've got a bunch of comics. Go to scribd.com slash bookwrite. You can start your free month, 30 days, read as much, listen, turn in as many virtual pages you want for 30 days. After that, it's $8.99 a month. Go to scribd.com slash bookwrite. You can see there, this also has our top picks on it now. I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but our picks have shown up. Or oh, they ours. have. Good. Rebecca picked out a bunch, um, and then I sort of nodded quietly when she said, is this fine? Um, <laughs> and some of those, uh, let's see. So we've got Sarah McLean's uh, A Rogue by Any Other Name, Men We Reaped by Jasmine Ward. I know Amanda's a big fan of that book. Mm-hmm. Um, what the World Will Look Like When All the Water Leaves Us by Laura Vandenberg, which is short stories. My all-time favorite collection of short there's some ever. D Brizzle. If somehow you haven't yet had the great experience of swimming along with Robert Langdon and his Mickey Mouse watch, you can do Dan Brown's Angels and Demons. There is Under the Skin by Michael Faber. Susanna Clark's Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell or Norrell. I don't know how we're people saying this. Norrell. This and the TV show for that starts in two weeks. Yes, the TV show. And I, the trailer looks interesting. I think I'm going to try the show. Um for that, a great summer read that we like if you don't mind a little steaminess in your summer reading is A Sport and a Pastime by James Salter, How to Be Black by Baratunde Thurston. I looked at a couple other, th- I was just looking at some other things I noticed right now. You can read Scribd. My favorite book I've read in quite some time, The Emperor of All Maladies by Siddhartha Mukherjee, is available to read on Scribd. Um, you also, there's a bunch of comics, like I said before. One thing they're really good right now, since everyone is into the Netflix series of Daredevil, there's a whole bunch of Daredevil comics. Uh, available right now, which if you're into comics, there's a great one to start. You might start with Frank Miller. Stephen King's Dr. Sleep, which was his new book last year, is now available on Scribd. You might check that as well. Uh, something else I was going to tell you about, and my brain is freaking out. Oh, um, <laughs> the uh, A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing by Amer McBride, which was a big book last year that a lot of people were talking about. I think I'm going to get around to reading that. I haven't read it, read it yet, but since it's on Scribd, I think I'm going to give it a try. A little bit of, we've talked up and down the the, the ladder about Lumberjanes, which is on script, is going to be a movie, apparently. Yeah. Um, Lumberjanes, Lumberjanes the movie. And so that's going to come out at some point. But if you want to get on the bandwagon, there's still room before the movie comes out for anyone <laughs> that comes on the bandwagon. The Lathe of Heaven by Ursula K. Le Guin. If you've never read Le Guin and you like sci-fi, you might try that. Also, if you've never read the book version of The Princess Bride by William Goldman, do came it, out before the movie, it. you should so definitely funny. do it. It's so funny. It's much like the movie, except it's got a little special sauce, just a little bit different enough to make it worth reading again. 
Um, let's see. What else? I, I talked about the Emperor Ball Maladies. Gone with the Wind, which I know is one of Amanda's favorites, mm-hmm. is on Scribd. You can read right there. So Scribd.com slash Book Riot. Get your 30-day free trial and uh, read all you want. It's, it's reading time. It's, it's page, it's page turning time this time of year. Um, so thanks so much to Scribd for sponsoring the show. So the books you're looking forward to the rest of the year. What? Let's do that real quick. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the big one, of course, is Ghost of a Watchman. Yeah, I can't really think past well, that. Yeah, it's hard. I'm looking so. forward to this David Mitchell now, I have to say. Yeah, I'm curious yeah. about that one, too. Um, Fates and Furies, Lauren Groff in the fall. Um, I've read it already, and I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, oh, the Margaret Atwood. What else? I have heard rumors that there's going to be a Zadie Smith in the fall that's just going to be a, a drop. Uh, I've heard that, too, and it's also supposed to be sci-fi-ish. Mm. Um, when uh, when the paperback of uh, NW came out a couple years ago and she was doing the interviews for it, she was mentioning she's working on a sci-fi concept novel. I've never read Zadie Smith. Oh, really? I, oh. I will be super interested to see what you think. Um, yeah. Uh, where would you – so she has, what, the four novels out now? Yeah, four. There's White mm-hmm. Teeth and On Beauty. White yeah. Teeth and Beauty, The Autographs. Seeker, the autograph man, and then NW. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, I think I would start with White Teeth myself. I think okay. that's still the one that, though I really like them all, I have to say. Uh, she's also an unbelievable interview. If you have ever, ever get a chance to go see her, read something with her, I highly recommend the interview there. Uh, let's see. So the oh, of- the Ta-Nehisi Coates. Oh, yes. 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 There, he signed, and I missed it, and Lib got one, I think. Of course, I think did. it's called Between the World and Me. Between the I World could... and Me. It's essays about race in America, I mm-hmm. think. is. Mm-hmm. I am going to read that. Another one I'm looking forward to um, because uh, I like Paul Thoreau. Um, a posthumous book is Paul, Paul Thoreau's called Deep South. It's tr- his travels in the South of America, um, of our these United States. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. That comes out. Oh. You know, these catalogs, I tell you what, uh, it's HMH sometime this fall. Um, uh, speaking of posthumous, oh, it already came out. It came out this last week and I um, just missed the publication date. But Our Souls at Night by Kent Harriff, who wrote Plain mm-hmm. Song and Even Song. Um, I read that and it's great. Mm. Um, this and did you tell me about this one under the Udala, Udala trees? Under by, the Udala trees by yeah. Chinolo Okparanta. I'm mm-hmm. so sorry. Um, <laughs> so it's inspired by Nigeria's folk tales and its war. Um, it's a debut about living and growing, living in Nigeria, growing up with everything that's going on there from a young woman's point of view. I'm in on that as well. Um, so let me see. I think that's all I wrote Ooh. down. Oh, no, I've got one. Oh, okay. I'm so excited about this. It came in the mail a few weeks ago. Um, Sisters-in-Law by Linda Hirschman. It's about Sandra Day O'Connor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ooh. Oh. And Excellent how, That's interesting. Well done. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, it's great. Uh, about how um, Sandra Day O'Connor, you know, is a Republican. She's a Christian. She grew up in, like, in, Western, in the Western United States on a ranch. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a Democrat. She's Jewish. She's from Brooklyn. And how they have this friendship and this working relationship as the first two women on the Supreme Court that transcends all of those differences between, you know, religion and region and culture and background and how they've worked together to you know transform the Supreme Court, the Constitution, and America itself um, to make this a more equal place for women. I am so there. Man, you know, with a new James and a new Lee, 
it's going to be a lot of books sold this summer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just, even if there were no other books, <laughs> those two alone. Do you want to pre-order the Harper Lee? I'm sorry, what? Did you pre-order the Harper Lee? I did. Yeah, Someone yeah, scared yeah. the crap out of me that I wasn't going to be able to get one, so I pre-ordered. <laughs> that was probably me. Yeah. I, the the, the <laughs> print, initial the... print run is two million, and then you know, eBooks and audio. Like, yeah. God, how many? Th there was a huge banner, and it even had the little audiobook narrated by Reese Witherspoon in the corner. I thought that was interesting. Such a good pick. Promoting mm -hmm. that. They're uh, so smart. There. Yeah. Do, do you want to do, do the over under on how many the new E.L. James is going to sell? <sighs> over what time horizon? Uh, this year? This year. This year, yeah. Between so between June eighteenth and December thirty first. A million? How many did how many did Fifty Shades sell? Like, I don't think in we, several million. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. And it's still selling. I, yeah. I several know. million. I'd say a million, yeah. I went half sure. of the Lee print run. Okay. How yeah. about this? Over under yeah. Harper Lee. Oh. I'm going oh. over. James I no, I think I was thinking Harper the Lee. same thing. You think E.L. James is going to outsell Harper Lee? Indeed, I do. Oh, I don't want that to be true, but I think you're probably right. Though, though I think as that trilogy went on for E.L. James, each subsequent book sold fewer copies, mm -hmm. which isn't a great trend line. You know, I, I do wonder mm -hmm. if her moment is over for that stuff. Uh, that's but my only. Is, but it's the, yeah, this is the first book again, right? And it's yeah, it's shifted perspective of hi, yeah him. I think it's him. Well, the, do you the think first that makes it more or less interesting that it's not? It makes it more interesting to okay, me. Okay. Yeah, like I'll read it. I didn't. I wasn't terribly interested in the rest of the trilogy after Fifty Shades mm. of Grey, but I'll but I'll read a shifted thing. Yeah, yeah, to be in his head when she stumbles into his office the first time. <laughs> how does she justify how he's kind of a stalker in his own head? <laughs> <laughs> That'll be mm. interesting. To see. It will be. It's such an. It's going to be. I'm going to read it. Well, you know It'll what? Be, we're going to we're going to keep track of that horse race between E.L. James, yeah. e. James and Harper Lee for 2015. I, you know, I think about. It, I think the Lee will outsell. I my my gut is saying that the E.L. James is still going to sell a lot of books. Don't get me wrong about that. Um, but I think the white hot supernova of selling all the books for E.L. James might be. Uh, a little long in the tooth there, but we'll see. Um, so as always, thank you guys so much for listening. That's our show. You can find show notes at bookriot.com slash podcast. You can email us comments, criticisms, uh, lauds at uh, podcast.com. Excuse me, podcast at bookriot.com. I always do that. You can find me on Twitter at the Jeff O'Neill, O-N-E-E-L. You can find Amanda at I'm Amanda Nelson. No apostrophe because Twitter doesn't allow punctuation. Too much to our the O'Neill's eternal chagrin. Um, you can find Rebecca at, on Twitter at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Thanks so much for to tryaudiobooks.com for sponsoring the show, the Grace Keepers for sponsoring the show, and Scribd for sponsoring the show. We'll be back with a regular old episode next week. We should also do a shout-out. We're halfway through. See, we've got other podcasts you can listen to. Um, our good friend and colleague Rita Mead hosts the Dear Book Nerd podcast. Uh, that is uh, a bi-weekly show. It's advice about life, love, and literature. She does a great job there. Uh, Rebecca and Liberty are co-hosting the All the Books podcast, which is... 30-ish minutes a week. Every week comes out on Tuesdays. Talking about the books they're excited about that are coming out now. Um, I host Reading Lives, which is interviews with interesting people about their life and books. Amanda's going to have her own show. We can officially are we announce announcing this. that now? Yeah, right now. We're <laughs> you get a happening. podcast. You, you, you get, get a podcast. podcast. Amanda's going to... We don't have a name for this yet. But no. it's going to be a bi-weekly recommendation show, kind of like the, the one we do twice a year on this show where people write in, except it's going to be a regular show every other week. She's going to decide how she wants to do it as, you know, depending on the volume of recommendations she gets. She's going to have some rotating guests, some one-off yeah. guests. You know, she's going to do, do her thing. 
as these things go. So start thinking about the recommendations you need. Uh, if anyone has a great title, we're searching around for one of those two, a recommendation show. So we'll be back next week. Uh, thank you guys for uh, listening. As always, we hope you get off to a great summer. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.